Leviticus, uh, which I know doesn't happen very often, uh, but I, I'm learning so much and I'm, I'm loving going deep with this book, spending some time in it, scraping off the top surface kind of mining it for what's there, what, what continues to be significant and relevant uh, and pertinent for us here thousands and thousands of years later. It, it's, it's not this ancient archaic book. I, I know I use those words facetiously uh, kind of at the beginning, but I, I hope that you're finding that I don't believe that to be true, and, uh, and there's so much depth and beauty and wisdom to be found here. But uh, I'm guessing I'm like you in that I don't want to be in this for forever. And, uh, and we're on a trajectory here where we're going to be. So uh, this morning, uh, I wanna sp- we're going to speed things up a, little, a, l- a lot this morning. Uh, I'm kind of sad about what I'm about to do this morning, but, but uh, we're going to cover five whole chapters this morning. Five, five chapters. We've been covering like five verses. So, so this is kind of nuts to, to do this, which means uh, I just have to skim over the surface on, on these chapters. We're not, going, we're not going deep this morning. So here's the plan. Uh, we can't read much of the text. It will be really helpful. It probably won't be on the screen because I don't think that's a helpful way to do it. You're going to want to have your pew Bible or your phone uh, open in, in front of you. And uh, I'm, I'm going to assume that if, you're, if your head is down kind of in your lap that you're reading and you're not falling asleep uh, because I think that will be helpful for you to just be casually skimming as, as I move along this morning, because we, we just don't have the time to, to sit and read uh, the passages. Hopefully you do, you'll do that, you've done that already, or you'll, you'll do that uh, in the week to follow. Read some of these passages uh, more closely uh, and, and see. So, so I'm planning to just kind of skirt over the top of the, the text, briefly summarize the chapter, uh, offer a few things to think about, and then just kind of move on. That's... It's, we got to do it. I got like 12 weeks to finish 17 chapters or something. So, uh, so, so this is a gift to you and me this morning, I promise you. Uh, so here we go. We're, we're in chapter 11, Leviticus 11, uh, getting all the way through chapter 15 this morning. Crazy. Uh, so chapters 11 through 15, uh, deal with situations that produce uh, uncleanness or uncleanliness, uh, spiritual uncleanliness, a a lack of spiritual or communal health, something that breaks down in the body or in relationships or in in the entire community that causes a breakdown. There's something that that's not quite right, and for the, the community, the tribe, to move on faithfully as the free people of God, something ha- the ship has to be righted. Something has to be fixed in order for God's holiness to be, uh, to be uh, uh, made present, to be felt, to be known uh, in, in the community. Uh, so uh, th- these, are, these are things that limit people from experiencing God's holy presence. And so we've got to make it right. Uh, these chapters shift us from the sanctuary where we've been hanging out most of the first 10 chapters 
uh, to the everyday life. We're moving out of the sanctuary and into people's homes, into people's everyday lives, uh, from the throne room to the living room, from the communion table to the kitchen table. Uh, and they give us practical ways to think through what we talked about last week in Leviticus 10.10, that we are to be distinguishers between the sacred and the common, as, as the priests, as God's kingdom of priests, that we are to be people who can notice the ways in which uh, the sacred shows up and the ways in which the profane shows up and to make note of that and, and to be people who bring about more and more of God's sacredness, God's divinity. Uh, we're to be namers, revealers of the ways in which the holy and the ordinary are often not so separate uh, as we come to think about. So these chapters help us to see how one lives uh, uh, outside uh, the sanctuary is no less important than how one lives inside the sanctuary. That holiness and faithfulness uh, are really holistic and all-encompassing callings, and it affects even little things like skin diseases and what happens in the bedroom. So uh, that's kind of where we're heading. So chapter 11. If you're kind of following along, if you're, if you're paging through and, and briefly skimming uh, the, the chapters as I move along, chapter 11 uh, talks about clean and unclean food. So, so first we're dealing with things that are outside of the body. What animals they could eat and could not eat. And there's a million instructions. Basically, the animals that are safe to eat are those that have a divided hoof and that eat their cud. The and is important. It's animals that do both of those, that have a divided uh, hoof and eat their, cu their cud. And so we can imagine some of those animals, and there, there are a lot of the same animals that we eat today, uh, probably for this reason. Uh, and then there's a ton of animals that are off limits in this chapter, broken down by where they live, whether it's land, uh, or water or the air. And so we get all these limitations about these are animals that you shouldn't eat. Now, uh, I have so many notes on this chapter uh, that I'm not sharing any of them with you. I will say right away though that if you have questions, uh, I, I brought my notebook with me. I, this is usually sits at home and I just have, you know, whatever I typed out and I'm prepared to preach. I brought my notebook with me. So if there are questions that you have, like, man, what the heck does that mean? I'm not promising that I know the answers to all of your questions, but I, I may have uh, at least thoughts on that written down in my notebook that I just... I can't share this morning. So please ask. If there's things that you wonder about, please ask. And I may, I may have some thoughts for you on that. Uh, but a few things stand out in this chapter that are worth talking about. So first, uh, why dietary laws? Why would we have, why, why? Why do we have to read, this is like 50-some verses about all these animals that we shouldn't eat and a few, just a few chapters or a few verses on what we should eat. Why? Why the dietary laws? Why so many rules about what you can eat and what you can't? And why are we being so specific about all of it? Uh, well, I think the answer comes in that we are trying to emulate a God who is a very specific God. 
This is a very specific chapter about, uh, about faithfulness and about the ways to be faithful. Uh, but the point of all of this, and we've talked about this many times, is that we are trying to emulate God. We are trying to live into God's new way, his new kingdom way in the world. And so even here in these dietary laws, we are trying to emulate a God who is very specific in nature, who knows everything, who notices everything, who cares for everything, uh, who, who created all of the world in all of its intricate detail and then told Adam, go name it all. I want you to be very specific about how you give names to all of these creatures. We are copying a holy God who in creation names, notices, and cares for all the animals and calls them very good. Uh, God is so specific He's so detail-oriented, and he's so overly concerned with all of creation, with every last bit of his creation, from us as the pinnacle all the way down to bugs and rodents and, all, and birds and all sorts of things that we casually uh, overlook, but God does not. We worship a holy God who does not overlook any of his creation. And so as we are seeking to be his kind of people, I, th- I think Leviticus was reminding us that w- we ought not overlook any of God's creation either. It all matters. It's all important. And so these rituals help to train us to seek justice and to care for all of God's creation because God cares for all of God's creation. We're essentially aiming for the peaceable kingdom that Isaiah talks about in chapter 11, where all of God's creation is connected in perfect peace and harmony, where lions lay down with lambs. We're, we're going for that kind of community, where, where all of creation is in perfect harmony with one another, uh, with God and with each other. That's our aim here. God designed the world for everything to flourish and to be very good. So we must regulate our actions and not abuse our power through any sort of greedy consumption that would uh, enable God's very good creation to be not so very good. We're to limit ourselves in our care for all of God's creation, every last bit. So, so we're trying not to upset the very good balance of God's created order. Now we're trying to protect the world from exploitation and abuse, whether, whether it comes to humanity or it comes down to the very little things of creation. Samuel Ballantyne says this, the fragile but generative first step uh, toward becoming the people God believes in and hopes for is is uh, to make uh, for is to make a distinction between the clean and the unclean. If we want to be God's people, we have to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean. To be obedient to this rule is to walk faithfully in the footsteps of the one Jesus, who recreated the world and gave it a second chance to reverence all creation with a godlike compassion. We are becoming. Uh, like Jesus, who loved the world so much that he brought his very self here and died on its behalf. Uh, and so we're trying to partner with God in doing that sort of recreative work. Uh, all right, I understand I didn't say anything about chapter 11, but moving on. Uh, okay, now chapters 12 through 15 transition to talking about uncleanness inside the body 
not outside. Now we've moved from, from uh, things outside of our body, like uh, the animals that we would consume, to things that are happening inside of the body for the next four chapters. So chapter 12 uh, uh, is, is kind of geared toward one gender specifically. This talks about the purification after childbirth. So, so this chapter is about women. Uh, and I'll read, I'll read the first part of it. So this is Leviticus 12, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. Seven plus 33 is... 40. Uh, she must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter for two weeks, the woman will be unclean as during uh, her period. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. 14 plus 66 is 80. Uh, now, one thing worth quickly mentioning uh, is that chapter 12 gives no indication that anything morally wrong has taken place here. That it says that the woman is unclean, but there's different ways to be unclean. There's ways to be unclean that result from kind of a sinfulness, and then there's ways to be unclean that re- result from just kind of uh, ritually needing to, to uh, go through certain steps to be back in the community. Uh, but let's... Uh, she had a baby, and that's it. Uh, so, so a woman's defilement, which some translations say, her uncleanness here is simple, simply a ritual uncleanness and not a moral one. I think that's just worth saying uh, up front. There's no indication that there's anything morally wrong here. So there's a, there's a process here uh, in, this, in this chapter. There's time given. There's no rush. There's, there's a built-in ritual that allows the mother and the child to to, uh, to, to ease their way back into normal life. Uh, it, it's why I would say that this is ultimately a chapter about honor. I think that this is, I think that every part of this chapter is ultimately about honor because there's this ritual that kind of honors the whole beautiful life-giving process of, of childbirth. And it happens in multiple ways. This chapter honors God. Through the seven-day and the 40-day ceremonial waiting, they're, they're acknowledging that God is the creator, that we didn't, act, we didn't ultimately bring this child into the world. God did. And so we wait, and we wait seven days in order to acknowledge that God is the great creator. He is the one that is ultimately in charge of all of this and everything that, that happens. He is the one that is worth celebrating here. And this baby is just a part of God's ongoing recreation of the world, continuing to bring new life into the world. And we, so we stop and we wait for seven days, uh, for 40 days, which also celebrates God's new life in the world uh, as a way of recognizing that God is the ultimate creator. He's, he's the one in charge of all of it. This chapter honors the child, especially uh, the male children, uh, with a ceremony on the eighth day to remember that God continues to bring people into his covenantal relationship of blessing. These kids are important. 
These children, male or female, are important, and they're a part of God's plan to continue to renew the earth, that God has this covenantal plan for all, for, for his people, and so we're bringing in these new children into this covenantal plan. There's an honoring of these children. They're, they're not just kids that are, that are to be seen and not heard. They're important, and so we bring them out into the open, and we share them, and we welcome them into God's covenantal community. And then finally, and probably most importantly, uh, this chapter honors the mom, which which I love. Uh, Now, I know that she gets called unclean in this chapter, which doesn't exactly seem like an honoring kind of word uh, to to give her, Uh, but she also gets given a a really incredible gift in this chapter. I I mean, think about the the ritual, uh, think about the logistics of this ritual, the mother gets to spend seven days or 14 days all to herself, just her and her child uh, getting to know each other, being with each other, getting united together, getting in sync with one another uh, with no other distractions at all. There's no visitors, there's no chores, there's no cooking, there's no cleaning, there's no taking care of the other children because they're kind of, they're quarantined, but I think it's a gift of quarantine here, right? Maybe moms are kind of shaking their head at this point, right? At least I, I see it as what an honor to, to these mothers that you, you get this moment to just be with your child. There's no expectations of public appearance. It's just a week or two of complete attention to themselves and their newborn, and I think it's a beautiful gift to this woman who has just brought life into the world. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And then there's still 33 to 66 more days of easing back into public engagement. Uh, it, it, it takes some time. This is for you. This, you've done this special thing, and so we want to honor you. I think there's honor in this chapter. So while it, it seems funny to call a new mother unclean, at least they get honored with time and space and a chance to heal, which, which I love. Uh, it, it's actually kind of progressive in this, in this chapter. I, I love that. I love that. Okay, again, there's, there's more that could be said about this, uh, but for sake of time, chapters 13 and 14. Uh, these two chapters kind of go together. They, they are two very, very long chapters about the, the really fascinating topic of skin diseases and, and mold. So if, you, if I didn't sell you with the skin diseases, at least we get to talk about mold, right? Uh, this is kind of a priests as dermatologists kind of section of, of scripture here. Uh, it's... It's weird and it's kind of strange, uh, but I think there's something for us here as well. This section talks about seven different kinds of skin diseases. Seven. Again, we keep seeing these. These numbers are not put in here on accident, folks. Like, if you see seven, uh, which we've seen so many times throughout the book of Leviticus, it's in here for a reason. There are seven different kinds of skin diseases. Seven, which is another reminder that all of life matters, right down to the very condition of our skin. And uh, this is kind of the opposite kind of reminder. This is a reminder that creation can get out of whack 
just as easy as it gets restored. Most of the times when we've seen seven, it's been this beautiful reminder that God is doing a brand new thing, that he's creating a new thing here, that there's a brand new creation happening. But here, uh, I think when there are seven disorders. These are seven ways that creation can get skewed. It's a reminder that life, life isn't always peachy and things can get out of whack. We, we, uh, sin can enter into our world. Uh, now, the thing that unites all of these skin conditions together is that they all give the appearance that the body is rotting. Now, we, may, we maybe don't think of skin conditions that way. Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't today. But especially in this time period, a skin condition, when you didn't have the capability of going inside the body and seeing exactly what was happening, you had to kind of uh, guess by what's happening on the outside as to what's happening on the inside. But when you see things kind of rotting on the outside, there's an appearance, at least, that things might be rotting on the inside, and, and so that's that's why the the uh, the, the careful uh, connect, uh, de- dedication to, to the skin here is because uh, this gives the appearance that the body is rotting, which if not treated, would lead to death. Uh, which is why this stuff matters. And and these priests are dedicated to dermatology here because this new movement of God is supposed to be about life. So if we suddenly see a bunch of people in the community that are giving the impression that death is starting to seep into this new community of life, then maybe we need to deal with it. Like, this is supposed to be a life-giving new community of God. And now we we see little snippets of death starting to enter their way into our tribe, and so we got to deal with it. Any appearance of death must be dealt with so that life can be had completely, uh, which starts to happen in verses 45 and 46. Uh, now, these, these verses seem kind of rough, but bear with me. This is chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes let their hair be unkempt, cover the, lo- the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean, uh, as they're walking outside of the community. As, as long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So, uh, so we're starting to deal with, with these skin uh, uh, disformities, uh, conditions, issues, but it is kind of rough. You get, so you get some sores on your body and suddenly you're kicked out of the tribe. Like you gotta, you gotta go live in Belgrade or something. I don't know. Uh, you, gotta, you gotta go outside the camp. It, it seems kind of harsh, but we have to remember that these weren't just a few sores. These are signs of death. And the presence of death is the opposite of life and the opposite of holiness. They're looking to dwell with a perfect, holy God. They're looking for God's presence to be in their midst. And so death is a deterrent to to the divine. We want to be in the presence of God, and so we have to deal with anything that is actually going to bring death and not life and deter us from being in the presence of God. But you still kind of feel bad for these lepers who now reside in the place of the living dead. They're outside the community. They're feeling lost and abandoned. They are desperately hoping and praying for a miracle 
to, to be declared uh, clean and brought back into the community and into life itself, which has me thinking about all the times where Jesus cures people that are suffering from leprosy and all sorts of skin diseases uh, and, and why uh, these healings are such good news for people. Uh, this, is, they, this is news that they can't help but share even when Jesus says not to, because it's not just their skin that gets cured in this process, it's all of themselves. And they get brought back into the fullness of God's community. They get brought back into being with their families. And I think that's what Jesus does for us as well. We feel like outsiders. We don't belong. We feel tainted in our own skin at times. And and Jesus comes along and he reminds us of our our value, our beauty, our goodness. Uh, He makes us clean by his own stripes and he welcomes us back into his new kingdom community. Uh, This Leviticus 13 is reminding us of Jesus. It's reminding us of the great physician who heals not just skin deep. Uh, but, but heals way uh, more than that and brings us back into the fullness of his community when we felt like we weren't right in our own skin. It's beautiful. And, and then chapter 13 uh, ends with this section about mold. Uh, I'll, I'll let you read that for yourself sometime later. It's, trust me, it's a doozy. You won't be able to put it down. Uh, but, but I'm going to skip over that for now. Uh, but chapter 14 uh, is fun because it, it gets back to talking about skin diseases, which I, I know maybe doesn't sound so fun, but it's really important because uh, we, we have to remember that when we last saw these people uh, that, that are suffering from these skin issues, they were heading outside the village, heads low, shouting, unclean, unclean. It was a really, really dark moment in their lives. And so we kind of abandoned them for about 10 verses or so, but I'm thankful that Leviticus comes back to deal with these people that are feeling desolated, that are feeling abandoned. Uh, the, the fact that Leviticus comes back to these folks with a plan is a bold declaration that the point of that ritual, the point of the ritual of, of banishment, uh, is not about just getting rid of the freaks in your community so that you all can be the same and all be healthy together. The whole point of this ritual is about the restoration of God's people into full and normal life inside the community. We're, we're sending these people away in order to bring them back healthy. We want them to be restored. This God is constantly moving the world from affliction to healing, from banishment to restoration, from death to life, and his priests, us, should do the same. We should be people who are looking for those who are on the outskirts of society, who feel like they've been shunned, who've been pushed to the margins, who have nothing to offer to the rest of the normal community. We should be looking for those people and looking for ways that we can be bringing them back into the fold, where we can be reminding them uh, of of the health that they can find in Jesus and welcoming them into Jesus' new community. This is our role. We, we are people who help others go from affliction to healing, banishment to restoration, from death to life. Uh, and the restoration process that we see here in chapter 14 is eight days long. It, it's an eight-day process uh, because on the eighth day, 
people are new creations and you've started the, the, the first day of the second week of creation. People are becoming new creations, ready to resume their role as the very good uh, people, as very good and blessings to the world. Now, there's a, uh, there's a really sweet moment in this restorative process uh, that I, that I kind of love. Uh, like happened with the priests, if, if you remember back to a few weeks ago, uh, when the priests, Aaron's, Aaron's family got ordained, uh, there was a moment in their ordination ceremony uh, when they had blood, the blood of the lamb, placed on their, their earlobe uh, and their thumb and their big toe. We remember this moment from, from a few weeks ago. And it was, a rem- uh, it was just this, this beautiful symbol of what they're being called to as, as priests. Uh, but something happens in chapter 14 where these folks that have suffered and have gone to the outskirts of society actually have that same daubing ritual done to them as well. That as they're getting restored and brought back into the fold, they actually get blood put on their earlobe, thumb, and big toe as well, which I think just should be a massive red flag for us as we read and, and should uh, start our wheels churning about like why, like what's the connection between, these are the only two groups of people that have this happen in the only book of Leviticus. So why? Why is there a connection between these groups of people? Uh, and th- this is what I think it is and it's, it's been b- backed up by uh, some other folks as well. Um, I wonder if, if this shouldn't invite us to start thinking about whether there's some sort of connection between priesthood and suffering between those who are called to be God's kingdom of priests and those who have suffered banishment, abandonment, uh, feeling of, uh, of aloneness in the world, who have suffered. Uh, and, and this, again from Samuel Ballantyne, who's just one of my favorites, I think he's so brilliant. Uh, he says this, because the priest and the person healed of a skin disease are the only examples of persons who receive this particular daubing rite, we may be permitted to wonder if perhaps there is a subtle and peculiar connection between priesthood and suffering. Is there some connection here? Is it, and, and this, maybe this is a stretch. This, where I'm admitting, Valentine is admitting we're trying to figure this out faithfully, but maybe this is the case, that there is a connection between priesthood and suffering. Ballantyne goes on, is it the case that only those who have traveled the life-scarring road from being condemned and ridiculed to being restored and embraced can know what it means to minister to the afflicted? Is it the case that priests who stand in the gap between a holy God and a fragile world are the most attuned to their world when they know themselves to be wounded healers. We sung that song this morning, wounded healer, that, that God is a, a wounded healer, Jesus is a wounded healer. And, and what if as a kingdom of priests, as we go out into the world, uh, we are most adept at being priestly, at inviting people into the presence of God out into the world when we are people who have gone through our own pain, who have suffered, who have known uh, the feelings of aloneness, who have, who have known abandonment, who have known pain, who have known illness, who have known disease, who have known all sorts 
of suffering. Maybe we are best adept at being ministers out in the community when we have known the ministry within us, where we have felt God uh, welcoming us from a place uh, of suffering to a place of belonging, to a place of restoration and embrace. Maybe suffering isn't a prerequisite for doing God's priestly threshold people kind of work in the world, but I most certainly think it helps. I most certainly think it helps when we have suffered, when we have struggled, when we have been there, faced that, got knocked down, and then re-emerged through the grace of God. I think our priestly work becomes all the more powerful and restorative. So use those stories. Use your stories of suffering to be the presence of God for those others in our community that are going through similar suffering. I think that... It's a fun kind of connection there. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's good exegetical work or not, but uh, I, I kind of love, love that connection there. So then chapter 15. Uh, a real fun chapter to talk about. A, a section about bodily discharges. Holy cow. Jeez, what are we doing here? Yikes. Uh, so this chapter is broken up into a, a number of different categories uh, from unusual and usual discharges of men uh, to discharges that happen when a man really loves a woman uh, and then usual and unusual discharges from women. So again, not my favorite topic to, to discuss uh, on a Sunday morning, but it matters. It matters because faithful, faithfulness matters all the way down to the details of bodily functions and especially sexual intercourse. It matters. Faithfulness, faithfulness matters when it comes to things uh, of, of intimacy. It all matters. Now, now there's, there's a number of things I could talk about here, for, but for the sake of time, just kind of one quick thought here. Uh, I'm kind of tempted to say why would people's bodily and sexual discharges be of anyone else's concern, especially the, their priests? Like, no, no offense, folks, but I don't, I, don't need to know, I don't need to know your story in that kind of way. And, and my temptation is to say, why would any priest need to know that? Uh, yikes. But these are priestly concerns and not just private concerns, because they deal with the creation of life. These, when when you're talking about sexuality, when you're talking about uh, bodily uh, discharges, uh, and especially things that are are vital in nature that create life, uh, then I think, at least in this culture that we're talking about in Leviticus, uh, that puts us in a priestly realm. These are priestly concerns suddenly because they deal with life. Anything within the realm of life and death is spiritual and priestly. Uh, And beyond just us, and our own personal things. The loss of vital fluids suddenly puts us in the sphere of death. And that's the way they thought about it. That, that there's, there's a, we're in the realm of death anytime there's bodily excretion. Uh, and if we don't treat this right, the death might spiral 
in, in a way that, uh, that isn't good, that isn't helpful. So the priests are concerned that our sexuality, that the sexuality of the whole community doesn't spiral into chaos and death, but ultimately only promotes and results in the creation of more life. And I'd say when it comes to that, I'm in as, as your pastor as well. I'm interested in talking about the ways in which our sexuality uh, doesn't promote more death and chaos in the world like we see in so many ways in our, in our culture, correct? I, I would love for the church to be at the forefront of, of how does sexuality promote life? How, how, does it, how is it promoting vitality and health and not leading in ways that, that only result in chaos and death and breakdown in family and breakdown in culture. Now that's, that's priestly, right? We know the power uh, of sexuality. For good or for bad, for blessing or for curse, sexuality is loaded with potential for both awesome and awful and must be handled with great care. And Leviticus reminds us of that, even though it does it in really weird and awkward kind of ways. It reminds us that sexuality matters, that the way that we treat sexuality can either promote death or it can promote life. And this is a God who wants us to live in the fullness of life that he's come to bring his free people. Uh, Okay, that was a lot. Uh, and I just barely scratched the surface. So honestly, again, if you have questions on any of the stuff that I just kind of breezed over, uh, I brought my notebook, and, and I, might, I might have some thoughts on that uh, in here. So, so just ask if, if there's anything. And, and I'll, I'll reserve the right to say, I don't know, or I'll try to find that out. Um, so the, the main takeaway this morning, as we close our time together, I think that the main takeaway this morning is, is again just something that I've been pounding on for weeks and I've talked about over and over again this morning as well. Everything matters. Leviticus reminds us, all these rituals are meant to remind us that everything matters. The details matter. The tiny little decisions of our lives, they all matter. Uh, our insides and our outsides matter. Our character and our actions matter. It all matters. Everything that we do matters. These five chapters are ultimately about integrity, about being whole and complete both inside and out, about holistic purity. We're not just looking for, for looking pure and good on the outside to everyone else. We're actually looking to train our bodies to be pure and clean in every way imaginable. Uh, this, this, these are chapters about the things that we say and think and believe matching up with the things that we do and the way that we live. It's about being healthy and clean in every facet of our lives, about loving God and neighbor well out of a place of wellness. Can we be whole so that we can help to make our world whole? Can we be well so that we can help bring wellness to our world? Can we feel loved uh, so that we can love others? Uh, So if anything in our lives isn't well, uh, is unclean, isn't aligned with God, is out of balance with the way of Jesus, has succumbed to sinfulness, then let's do whatever it takes to get right, even if it means some humility or humiliation, some shame, and public repentance. If there's anything in our lives that is unclean, I need to get that right so that I can be back 
in, full, in the full presence of God without any shame, uh, without any separation. Let's do that. Suffering and pain and humiliation and shame are no fun, but Leviticus reminds us that it's totally worth it if that suffering ultimately results in our healing and increased ability to be God's kingdom of priests. So let's do our work. Let's make things right and get back to living well as the free people of God. Let's make sure our lives are clean, that there's nothing keeping us from God's presence, that we are totally in sync with the way of God. Because maybe Benjamin Franklin was right that cleanliness actually is next to godliness. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, we thank you so much. For these texts that are, that are hard and yet good, that are weird and foreign and yet relevant and significant. Uh, thank you for your word, that it can be opened up and wrestled with, and, and what a wrestling process it is to, to figure out how this 6,000-year-old document uh, is still helpful today. And yet we trust that your spirit is guiding us in that and we'll continue to do so. God, help us to be namers and revealers of the places in our lives and in our world uh, that aren't holy, that aren't sacred, that aren't the way that you would intend them to be and help us to be courageous enough to uh, help bring those places into restoration, to help bring them from the outskirts of your community into a healthy place of wholeness and completion and goodness. Help us to do that in our, in our own lives. Help us to name the ways in which our lives aren't clean. They're not right. They've gotten out of sync, out of step with the way that you wanted them to be. Uh, help us to have the courage to say no to the things that we need to say no to and yes to the things that we need to say yes to and to get our lives back in sync with yours. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.